0: This episode is sponsored by This Naked Mind Institute, our coach certification program, where we certify the next generation of coaches to help people find freedom and experience transformational and life-giving shifts that come from science-based and compassion-led learning. These coaches are empowered with world-class trainings, industry-leading tools and resources, and the most recent scientific studies to help others learn how to create real, rich, raw, and authentic lives free from alcohol. So if you're at the point in your own personal journey where you really want to help others and pay it forward to give what you've been given and help others find freedom, joy, and ultimate happiness, then I invite you to apply for the next class of This Naked Mind Institute and join our incredibly coaching community at thisnakedmindinstitute.com.
1: Well, hello everybody. My name is Scott Pinyard. I'm the head coach here at This Naked Mind and I am back with another episode of Coaching Questions. This time I am joined by one of our amazing coaches and it's Lily Weiss. Lily, how's it going? Hi, I'm good, hi everybody. So Lily, I want to dive in just like right into it and find out about you. And so I asked you, you know, who do you work with? You know, who do you, what's your sort of your people? Um, And you said you like to work with people who want to end their struggle with alcohol and live a life full of fun and adventure, relax at the end of a stressful day and handle life's curveballs with grace. So tell me a little bit about who you normally work with and like what, what that's like for you and for them.
2: Well, I think there's a really big myth is the nice word. Lie is probably the (laughs) truer word that an alcohol-free life is going to be a drag. And the reality is it was actually alcohol. I was this super adventurous person. I did great things, Scott. Once I rode my bike from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean in one summer. That's amazing. I did some crazy things. I backpacked. I took people backpacking in Alaska. I went solo hiking in the Himalayas. I mean, did some great things. And then alcohol got in my life more mm. and more. And instead of doing adventurous things, I was sitting in this chair in my living room. Yep. Drinking a bottle of wine every night.
1: I've been there. No. You know.
2: And then here's the kicker. Here's the thing that just fascinates me still. Why did I think that <sighs> was fun? Yeah. Like there is, <laughs> is yeah. I'm sitting in I'm a woman who used to be doing these amazing things, and now I am sitting there. And I'm really believing, like I really believe this. If I didn't drink, all the fun was gonna come out of my life.
1: Yes. Yeah. But I wasn't having any fun. I remember that so clearly too. Like just <laughs> all the negatives of drinking, and then thinking, like, oh, what am I gonna do for fun if I quit? But then if I look back at my drinking life, I'm like. Very little of that was actually fun.
2: <laughs> it wasn't fun. I mean, it, it was it was advertised as fun and I bought into the advertising. Yes. So I think the people who are, I work with anyone who wants to end sure. the struggle with alcohol. Absolutely. I think the people that are attracted to me are people who want a full life. And that's <laughs> maybe somebody who had a full life and alcohol sucked it out of them or They haven't gotten there yet, but it's not too late. And they really want to get that adventurous spirit back. And I'm not going to lie and say that going alcohol free is like rainbows and unicorns. But it also, it's got this bad rap that it's like, it's the hardest thing I ever did. Well, you know what? The hardest thing I ever did was run a marathon and I enjoyed every minute of it.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
2: hard doesn't have to be bad, first of all. I love that. And secondly, sometimes we actually laugh on our Zoom calls together because sometimes our behaviors are funny. Or I'll tell a story about, just like I was telling you before, I think it's hilarious that I used to think that I was living an adventurous life in that chair. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, we cry too. And we share some really painful stories and you know my story is one of childhood trauma and clinical depression and I overcame those to live just a very fulfilling and I'm back to adventure.
1: I love it. Yeah. It's so funny, you know, you mentioned um, this idea of like quitting drinking being the hardest thing I ever did. and that is out there a lot. Like I hear a lot of people talk about it. I hear a lot of people, you know, to sort of contrast what we do with other programs that are out there. Like I have a friend of mine who goes to, you know, multiple meetings a week and it's, it's not a positive thing for him, you know, and, and it's been longer for him that he's alcohol free. And so I understand, you know, when, when people quit trying to use willpower, how it does feel like the hardest thing ever, because not only is it difficult immediately, but it's difficult over time right? Like, unless you shift the way you think about alcohol, which it sounds like that's exactly what you did, you shift away from something you need or something that helps with stress to something that you don't want anymore. Well, that's really easy. But you know, it's it becomes easy to be alcohol free. But if you don't shift those things, if you don't change the way you think, then yeah, it's hard. Every damn day is hard. And I don't I mean, I don't know about you, like, I don't want to live that way. You know, that that wasn't that wasn't for me.
2: I wasn't enjoying it. I did the math once. You're an engineer. You're going to love that I did this mm-hmm. math. I estimated that I had 1,842 mornings that I woke up and said, today, I'm not going to drink and uh, 1,841 evenings Wow. that I drank. Wow. Yeah. Like, that's over a six-year period of time. That was hard. The yeah. shame was hard. The guilt was hard. The not believing in myself anymore was hard. But when I got to Annie's work and shifted my thinking, it wasn't so hard.
1: Yeah. I had this
2: um, client this past week and she's going on a trip this weekend and she's a new client and she was thinking that the weekend was going to be hard because there was going to be a lot of drinking and she was really scared she was going to drink. So, you know, we did Mm -hmm. the plan and we talked about it. And then I said to her, what do you think is going to happen if you drink? (laughs) I love that. And she just looked at me like, because she'd had a data point the week before, and it was Mm -hmm. terrible. I mean, it it unleashed this terrible week. And for her, it was painful. Yeah. And she just kind of looked at me and I said, well, let me tell you what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to learn something. And then next week is going to be better. And we're going to have figured something out. And you're going to be that much further towards your goal. And she just got this light in her eyes like, yes. oh, yeah, that is actually what would happen.
1: Well, I mean, that's another thing too. This gets pounded into us, right? Like it's black or white, either you do or you don't. And the only way to be successful is not drink. And there's absolutely zero consideration given to that process from the time that you decide you wanna make a change till you actually do. It's like everyone expects us to just jump to the end, right? Just quit and you're good. It
2: doesn't work like that. Well, I, I guess for some people it works like that but it stinks, man.
1: Yes. Yes. So I pulled uh, a few questions um, that I thought that maybe you could, you would like answering. So I'm going to read one. We can chat about it. Um, Here's question. Number one says, I got to retire early at age 50. Oh, that is amazing. I'm very jealous of this writer. And that was five years ago. I thought it was going to be full of fun and adventure, but what's actually happened is that I am drinking more and more and more I had a vision of what this retirement would be like for me, and I want to actually get back to that. How can I do that? That's a big question. (laughs) But it said the word adventure, and it made me think of you, Lily.
2: Perfect. Well, and it's funny you should ask, because I'm actually doing a workshop this weekend called the Happiness Lab. Mm -hmm. People believe that happiness is something that either you were born with, or you just didn't get it, right? Happiness is a skill set. I love that. Happiness is something that you have to go and get. So the alcohol has been, once again, the big lie is that it's going to make us happy. And so then we didn't have to do any of the happiness work. So this workshop that I'm doing this weekend is all about. Yes, there's some personal growth things that go into happiness. Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, you know, you got to do your mindfulness work and your morning. Yes. Attractive. Yes. Yeah, all that. But sometimes we forget to talk about the fun part of it. So mm. my encouragement for this person would be: Google how to have fun. Yeah. And start making it something a skill that you want to acquire and you know at the end of this we'll give my website I'll have a link to actually the happiness lab so that person can join in and do it and it's really some simple stuff and just that it's it's a skill go get it
1: I love that I love that and you know uh Lily you know I'm obsessed with this idea of like the stories we live in, right? So like the way we see the world and the beliefs that we have. And I see in this question, something that I see very often from people, which is like, I thought it was gonna be this way, but it's actually that way. Like there's only two options. Right. Right? Like there's only two different ways it could have turned out. It could have turned out the way I thought it was gonna turn out, or it could turn out the way it did turn out. Um, and I feel like that sort of thinking really keeps people stuck. You know and so to your point one of the things I love to suggest to people is like just don't do what you've been doing I'm not saying quit drinking but maybe one of those days go do something else adventurous It doesn't mean that you have to quit drinking right away but very often what happens when someone has a vision when someone has a dream when we have these expectations and it doesn't work out exactly as those expectations you know told us it would, we end up feeling like it wasn't very good at all. And so when that happens, we start thinking everything's a failure. We start thinking, well, this is just getting worse and worse and worse. Why did I even retire at 50? If this was as good, you know, I, I am sure there are thought processes like that going on for this person. And so from my perspective, like just breaking that pattern and By the way, that does not include not drinking, but just doing, to your point, like going out and doing something that makes you feel adventurous, that makes you feel happy, will shift the way you think about the whole thing. And that's a big deal. Right. So for a tactical,
2: just nuts and bolts, I suggest get out a piece of paper and a pen and start writing down things that you used to enjoy. And there's some theories, I don't know if it's backed by science, that, that are things that brought us joy as children sort of stay with us throughout life. So if you're mm-hmm. feeling uninspired, think back to your childhood, what made you happy? For me, I, I was always in the woods picking flowers. And so, you know, <laughs> now I'm a gardener um, and I do a lot of hiking. I, I always loved to travel when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. think back to your childhood. What made, was it being outside that made you happy? Was it being with friends? What was it? And if you're still uninspired, just start thinking about, as you were saying, let's do something different. Eat breakfast on the yeah. back porch instead yeah. of at the kitchen table. Oh, and the Wim Hof cold shower.
1: <laughs> that is intense. I did I that, did that last this year. afternoon yeah. or this
2: morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to wake up, man. You turn that water on cold and it, it just startles you. So do the Wim Hof ice cold shower and then write your list.
1: Yeah, I love it. And it's funny too, when people get stuck in a rut, this definitely seems like a rut sort of a situation, um, is, you know, they will, everything starts to look difficult, right? And so what we start to say to ourselves is, once I quit drinking, everything's gonna be better, right? So like, once I deal with this and I'm not drinking more and more and more, right? Once I deal with this and it's behind me, then I'm gonna have this life I'm expecting, right? Right? And like, allow me the fir- to be the first person to say BS. Like, that's, that's not how it works, right? I mean, you know this, I, it was definitely the case for me as well, you know? And so like, with questions like this, just taking the pressure off of ourselves, right? Of saying like, life should be this one certain way, and it's not. And how do I make it that way? maybe what it is, is how do I enjoy myself? Because guess what? Like when you enjoy yourself, when you're doing these things that make you happy, that make you enjoy this, you know, being in retirement, guess what? There's less stress. There's less anxiety. You have more room to actually like interrogate your relationship with alcohol to actually shift things. And so it's a weird it's a weird juxtaposition. It's, it's different than I think how people normally look at it, which is like, I have to have this time period that really sucks where I quit drinking and it's gonna be sad. And like we were talking about earlier, it's gonna be sad and I'm gonna be angry and it's gonna be totally unenjoyable. And then at some point in the future, I'll enjoy myself. What we actually say is no, like positive emotion is actually gonna help you move forward. So why wait? Like, why wait until after to start creating that that life?
2: I like to have my clients filling in the gap immediately. So let's yes. start with the fun. And so you when you do decide when it is your time to take your break and experiment or quit altogether if you want to, you already have some fun lined up. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that struck or strikes me as you were talking is, when we think that happiness is out of our control, like it either happens to you or it doesn't. Yes. And yeah. Get take your happiness power back. It's your superpower.
1: <laughs> I absolutely love that. You know, and it's I don't know. I find you know talking to people that come into our programs, uh, there's always a really heavy feeling. You know, when we start a path class or something like that. You know, people people generally aren't in the best mood when they first reach out to us, which I get. I was not in the best mood when I bought the "The Naked Mind" the book, right? Um, but man, I see so man, I see so quickly how just allowing that happiness to happen by like giving them, to your point, like giving them their power back to enjoy themselves. It doesn't mean you know, like. There's no requirement for enjoying yourself. You don't. Your life doesn't have to be perfect before you can decide to be happy, right? Like even something as simple as making a stupid joke on a Zoom call, or you know, like you were saying, like laughing with clients, you know, during one-on-one sessions, that changes everything. Absolutely everything.
2: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Let's go on to the second question, Uh, and here it is. Dump
2: the coach. Here we go. I'm ready.
1: My husband and I have been married for almost 32 years. I love him. He's awesome. And he has been a big support of my journey. However, he still drinks. Not every day, but maybe two to three times per month. And when he does, he goes all in. It's not a one or two drink affair. What is the best way for me to handle this? I'm conflicted. I know Annie and Scott talk about not trying to convince him of anything, but I just wish he would stop. I just don't know what to do in those situations and any input would be helpful. Wow.
2: So when I quit drinking, my husband did not stop. Mm -hmm. So I lived with this for quite a while. That is such a great question. And we hear this all the time. This person is not alone. This is, oh my gosh. My husband will probably hear this and shoot me for saying it, but for a long time he would say to me, you're so smart and everything else. Why can't you just moderate?
1: Yes. That's not uncommon. Yeah.
2: I thought if he said that to me one more time, I was really going to have to throttle him. I mean, I would still be loving him as I had his (laughs) neck in my hands and was throttling him, but it needed to stop. Yeah. Truly, I'm going to go with the Annie and Scott. And what you're, what helped me recently is being curious about my response. So you're going to have to stay in your own lane because you can't force anybody else to do anything. And the happy end to my story is my husband drinks maybe once every two or three months now. And he typically says, I had a beer last night and I didn't like it. I don't know why I keep doing that. <laughs> but great. he just naturally over time, our lives have shifted since my yep. alcohol consumption stopped. But I really think that we can't fix somebody else. The only thing we can fix is within ourselves. And so getting curious about how you can be with this and be okay, Mm-hmm. because, and you know, for some people, the drinking is to the point, it will never be okay. And, and maybe that's a relationship ending thing. It doesn't sound like it in this situation, but for the people who are there, that can happen. It can happen like it did in my relationship where he quit drinking, or you could be in the middle where this person is. Yeah. The only thing that can make you happy is your own inner work. So work within what can you do? Maybe you don't spend just as tactics. Maybe don't hang out with them on those nights. Yep. <laughs> maybe don't hang out with them on those next mornings because when they're crabby and grumpy, you know. Maybe set a boundary setting conversation. Hey, I get it. You want to drink, and then you're hung over the next day. That's fine. That's your deal. But treating me crap in a crabby way isn't going to cut it. So here's my boundary. You can drink and be as hungover as you want, but you're gonna be nice to me.
1: I love it. I like. I get so many questions uh, from men and women about partners. Uh, like, what do I do? Like very similar to this. Like you said, it comes up very often. The number one thing, the number one thing outside of everything else that can help this situation is communication, right? Mm-hmm telling your partner, and it's funny too, and I don't have any evidence of this, and I don't know if this person actually has had this conversation or not, but I will tell you that about 85, 90% of the time when someone asks me this question and I say, well, have you talked about it? Their answer is, well, no. And it's so funny because very often when we do actually have that conversation, right? If this, if this person were to go talk to their husband and say, this kind of sucks, like it's not a big argument. It's not a big thing that blows up. What happens most often with things like this is we sabotage ourselves because we think about it and we brood about it and we maybe start to get resentful and we start to get angry. And then, you know, instead of talking about the conversation that we really want to have about drinking, we're like yelling about the dishes in the sink and like it spirals, you know? I mean, I'm speaking from experience, by the way. Like this is exactly how I used to, to operate with these things. And like what I think I can't emphasize enough is exactly what you said, Lily, is like have a conversation about it. Talk about it, you know? And by the way, there's no requirement. And I think especially it says, these folks have been together 32 years, which is awesome. Longer than I've been alive. (laughs) Uh, But like what I think often happens is people feel like, oh, well, we hang out all the time. So I have to hang out with him, right? I have to be there. And just giving ourselves permission to show up for ourselves that opens up a whole new world, you know? And so none of this, oftentimes people feel like it's gonna be this big, heavy conversation and I'm gonna go talk to him and he's gonna get all upset and I'm gonna cry. And like, you'd be amazed. Like I, I hear this sort of stuff all the time, but the reality is that you. Sh- there is absolutely nothing wrong with you showing up for you. As a matter of fact, he loves you. So he probably wants you to show up for you, Yeah. right? And you don't know that you don't know for sure until you have the conversation. And I get that, but like looking at it that way and saying, Hey, I'm showing up for me and I'm going to draw this boundary, man, that's a game changer. And I I will say like, I've seen people do this over and over and over. And yes, I agree with Annie and me (laughs) that you can't convince people to do anything, (laughs) man. If we knew a way of doing that, we, it'd be, it'd be amazing. Um, But the reality is you can't, but what you can do is you can control yourself and you can control where you are in your own emotions. And that can be a completely different experience.
2: And a tip, I'll give you this for nothing, Scott, you Mm -hmm. probably already know it, is that when having these conversations, focusing on yourself rather than saying, when you do this, you make me.
1: Yeah, totally. Right? This is all your fault. So (laughs) if you change, we'll be happy.
2: Exactly, because you can't, you can't go into that conversation expecting the other person to change. What you can go into that conversation with is when this happens, this is how I feel. And moving yes. forward, this is what, you know, this is some area I'd like to talk to you about so we can live in this same space and both be happy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So that's my for nothing
1: I love it. But I remember I was talking to someone, uh, I was having this conversation with someone in one of our programs and, and, um, this was a, this was a guy who was really worried about talking to his wife. Um, and I'm like, Hey, take a minute before you, you know, don't just launch into it. Like, take a minute and think about it. Like, think about like, what are you willing to put up with? What are you not willing to put up with? Like, what's going to work? And he was very early in, like, he was like, I, I don't even know if it was a week at this point. Like it was very, very early days. And so he went away and he thought about it a bit. And um, he came back to me and he said, you know what? Like after we talked, I decided that this is something that my wife and I can work on together. Like this is a project. This is something we're co-creating. And I asked him how that felt. And he was like, so much better, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, it doesn't need to be adversarial. You know, and it doesn't need to be like, you're hurting me, stop it. It can be like, hey, here's how I'm feeling. What do you do? I liken it to like deciding what you're going to order for dinner tonight. Right. Exactly.
2: So I had this conversation with my father many years ago. Their drinking could escalate and then things, conversations got Mm -hmm. ugly and I didn't have the skills I have now, but I did have the skills to say, hey, when we're spending time together, can we do it? Not drinking. And I was Mm -hmm. there like for 24 hours Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and my dad drank the night before to excess. And so the next day I said, Hey, we talked about this. And my dad said, I don't like you telling me how to live my life. And I said, Mm. daddy, I love you. And I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm saying when we spend our precious little time together, let's spend it in a different way. And what was crazy about that conversation was that he felt like he could start telling me things that he was worried about. Well, I'm worried about probably the damn bike trip I took or or this thing or that thing. And I said, daddy, I I totally get that you love me and you're worried about me. And I know you've got my back and I've got this. And it changed our relationship.
1: That's so incredible.
2: From that day forward, we were able to tell each other how we felt.
1: Mm. Wow. Wow, I've cool. never heard that before. I love that. And it's funny too like I I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, but I'm pretty sure go, this is the
2: God. Go, go, go.
1: <laughs> One of these days that limb's going to snap, but it hasn't <laughs> yet. But I know for a fact because I do talk to a lot of people about this that there are a lot of us who have the thought, man, I should do something about my drinking. But at least so far, there's only a select few who actually do it. And so what can happen um, is, you know, when someone is drinking regularly, you know, they end up drinking for reasons like, oh, I'm having these emotions or that emotion and I'm like avoiding this or trying to follow that and all the stuff we talk about in our programs. But when someone comes to them like you did with your dad and just says, hey, like, what if we don't do this? and I'm not going to do this, like when we go first, the floodgates can open. Like I've seen it over and over. I've seen it in a lot of different relationships, you know, partner relationships. I've seen it a ton with like parents and kids, because I think what happens over time, and this is not a fully developed theory of mine, but like what happens over time when someone in the family unit is drinking is we all kind of like build these like bubbles around ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there's like go zones and no go zones. And that's, that tends to be at a very high level sort of dictated by alcohol consumption. And then all of a sudden if alcohol consumption goes away then the question is, well, where's the boundary? And it turns out like those boundaries don't have to exist in that way. Like you can talk about whatever, you know? And I just, I love stories like you just told because it shows that like with a very simple request Like, not only did your dad, you know, refrain from drinking, but like, you guys got closer because of it, which is almost always the exact opposite of what people think will happen. People think you're going to get pushed farther away. And I'm not saying that's impossible, but what I am saying is that over and over and over again, when someone asks for that in an earnest and honest way, just like you did, things get better, not worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you notice he gave me a little pushback. And something my like shrink taught me many years ago is like, when your balance is here, and then I went over here, the tendency is for this
1: pull back. Yeah,
2: yeah, to to you know to get it back in balance. But by staying here, he moved here, mm-hmm. and so I just held my ground in a very loving way.
1: I love that. And I mean, what else? You know, ultimately, and again, I think this there's a theme here to these uh, to this question or these stories we're telling, which is like, when we shift our relationship with alcohol, we get very, very worried about those closest to us, right? The relationships that mean the most to us being able to talk about it and request it ultimately, I think is a really, really important part of this journey of coming back to ourselves, right? Because for so long, so many of us have, you know, we, we have not been serving ourselves. We, we thought alcohol was the answer, it wasn't. And then eventually alcohol becomes the thing. But this whole time we have needs, we have desires, we have wishes that just for ourselves that just go unfulfilled because it's alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. And so when we're finally faced with, oh man, like in the case of this question, like I wish he wouldn't drink so much or I wish it did not, you know, I wish last night wasn't that way it's scary as hell. And I'm actually curious, Lily, from your perspective, like, was it scary to ask your dad that question?
2: Gosh, that was so long ago. Was it scary? I am sure that I had worked with my therapist, I was working with a therapist at the time and I am sure we spent a good amount of time talking about what that time would be like. And, mm-hmm. and so that's the advantage of coaching and therapy. So like my client going away for the weekend, yeah. she had me to bounce this off of and, and we could have this discussion. So yes, I was getting professional help. Back then coaches didn't exist except mm-hmm. for baseball. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't think it was scary, but it was planned.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just
2: do randomly (laughs) one-off,
1: like while you're driving over there. I'm just gonna throw this out there, see what happens. Yeah, Which might work. But so I do have another question. I think we have time to do it. We don't have super long left, so I'm gonna read that. Maybe we can lightning ask answer that one, and then I want to get to the curveball question. I'm excited to ask you. So here's question number three: Stress and alcohol go hand in hand for me. Recently, there were some issues at work and I took, a ton, I took on a ton of responsibility. And of course, I noticed that my drinking went way up. Can you give me some tips on dealing with stress here? I'm still in the pause, so I'm using this to gather data. Now, I should explain for those of you who don't know what the pause is. One thing that we do uh, in our method, which is different um, than pretty much anywhere else, when you join, say, the path, um, instead of quitting drinking right away, we ask you to pause. And the pause allows you to learn and look around and sort of gather data, as this uh, as this writer said, um, so that you can make informed decisions on what works for you when you actually do go alcohol-free. And Lily, I will say, I picked this because what you sent me said... Um, people who want to learn how to relax at the end of a stressful day. And I, this jumped out at me as like, whoa, this is like a stressful question. So what do you have to say to this person?
2: I would, I'm going to approach that on a couple different levels. And so many people use alcohol to relieve stress. It's, mm. it's written on the bot uh, on the bottle <laughs> stress reliever. So of course the science tells us that doesn't really work, mm. but that's an aside. So the first thing I'm going to give you is just a quick, science which is when we're feeling stress and all that cortisol dumps we're not getting any oxygen to our thinking noodle Mm -hmm. so the first thing you need to do is take a deep breath and that not only does it bring down your nervous system you start getting some oxygen to your thinking noodle so you can start thinking about this Because you got to get yourself in a a more calm. And yeah, coaches are always blah, 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 meditation, deep breathing. We're like that because it works. (laughs) (laughs) We do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that deep breath. And the next thing is to, my guess is, I don't have a lot of detail here, but when we're taking on stress, very often it's over responsibility. That wasn't our stress to take on. Chances are you could reframe what's ever going on at work. Another client who had a stressful family situation and she was saying that, you know, she had put this protective bubble over herself so that the stress wouldn't come in. And then at the end of that, it just the bubble burst <laughs> and she went and drank. So I was saying this is fighting stress. And that is the willpower and that's pushing mm-hmm. it away. Rather than being afraid of it, why not just let it kind of cruise on by? Well, so-and-so with the family is fighting with so-and-so in the family. That's not your problem. They're yeah. happy fighting. You said they've been fighting for years. <laughs> they actually like that probably. So you're who are you to take their happiness away? Yeah. You know, that's, that's not your job. Yeah. So I would say, look at your day at work and find out, first of all, what this is the project manager in me, what (laughs) really needs to happen first Mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm. project. Yeah. And a lot, like if 80% of the project's done by getting this one thing done, then let some of those other things go and then look around you and say, where's the stress coming from? And is it really mine?
1: Yep. I love that. Is it
2: because coworkers are crabby and they're infighting? you know, that's some work to do. We don't have time to go into what that <laughs> work is here. <laughs> yes, yeah. But that's that's the self-work that we do in coaching of, you know, you come to your coach and we would go over what's yours and what's theirs and let some of it just go right on by like a cloud.
1: <laughs> I love it. I had someone explain this to me once that stress is really heavy, right? So like when you carry on a... a, a Carrying around stress is like carrying around weight. You can only carry so much, then you fall over, right? And um, I remember this was a coach I had uh, a few years ago, and he gave me this sentence, this question to ask myself. Like when I was was carrying around that stress, and for some reason it really hit me, and I'd like to offer it for this writer, the question was really simple. Is this mine to carry? Mm That's it. You know, and along the lines of what you were saying, Lily, I think very often I have never done this, by the way, I've never coached someone on this who didn't find that they were carrying a lot of stuff that wasn't theirs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where there's so much value in coaching and that outside perspective, a coach like you can be like, well, wait a minute, hang on. You know, like, wait, is that really yours? Wait, here's what I see. And I think oftentimes it's hard for us to see it individually, but getting that coaching support to help with with dealing with that makes a massive difference.
2: Absolutely. And I had a client just say, and I was just gobsmacked with her brilliance when I heard this, she said that the week after we had the stress conversation, what was hers and what wasn't, she said, I've been sitting with my feelings and I've been letting a lot go and I recognized that what I thought was, I need a drink, was actually anxiety.
1: And I went, wow.
2: <sighs> so she was able, because, you know, the mind takes that shortcut, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes.
2: And she had detached. And so it was no longer anxiety, automatic alcohol. It was that feeling is anxiety and. I'm working with my coach on what to do with that.
1: That's so good. Isn't
2: that and that's cool? something you
1: can work with too, right? Like that's like, yeah, that's awesome. Dream
2: client. Dream. I, get, I get the <laughs> best clients. I'm sure is
1: the good. other
2: coaches think they have them. Um, not true.
1: <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you the curveball question. Um, you got to make a choice. This is an either or situation. There are no cop outs here and say both. Are you ready? The Beatles or The Stones? Beatles. Really, explain yourself.
2: (laughs) Because if I said The Rolling Stones, my husband would leave me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is as good a reason as any. Um, I love talking about that, by the way. By the way, my answer to that, Stones, all day long. It's not that I don't like The Beatles, but if I had to pick the two. I just saw The Stones in concert a few years ago. It was amazing. Um, they're very old, uh, but they can still play, which is really great. So Um, anyway, Lily, thank you so much for hanging out with me. This was really fun. Um, If people, yeah, if people are listening, how can they get in touch with you? How can they find you? Give us your website. How would you like people to reach out? Uh, You can find me. It is coachingwithlily.com.
2: Very simple.
1: Very simple. And you can
2: also find me through the coaches um, page on the This Naked Mind website.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lily. And to those of you listening, thank you so much for joining us. I will be back again soon with some more coaching questions. Until then, see you later.
0: Bye. Thank you. Are you realizing that there's something more, that you're so excited about this change in your life, maybe you've put down the bottle for good, and you just want to pay it forward? You want to help others in their moments of need move through that discomfort? You wonder what it feels like to celebrate your, your own journey by paying it forward and giving back what you've been given? Now's the time to find out. Enrollment is now open for our coaching certification program with This Naked Mind Institute. In just six months, you can receive the training, the resources, and tools you need to become our next certified coach so that you can start your entrepreneurial journey or grow your already existing business while helping thousands of others to find freedom, joy, and happiness. If you're hearing that little voice calling that says you're meant for so much more in this journey, then I invite you to leave your comfort zone behind and learn more about becoming a certified coach at thisnakedmindinstitute.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.